have a very exciting panel with me today. To my right, um, Ichaso del Palacio, who is a seasoned investor in um, digital startups. Um, she's currently a partner at M12, which is the CVC arm of Microsoft, um, but she is a venture capitalist at heart. Um, so she'll have a lot to say about that as well. Um, Stacy Seltzer, who is the general partner and CFO of Prehype. Um, Prehype are a venture development firm um, that collaborates with both large corporations and um, venture capitalists to effectively co-create startups. To my left, Matt Price, um, who is the custom, Customer Connect program leader at Oracle and part of a, an impressive international team um, that's uh, developing, driving the um, Oracle global startup ecosystem, which is a next generation accelerator. Um, and last but not least, we have Harry Keane, who is um, the CEO and co-founder um, of Hazy, a very, very exciting startup that is using um, AI to develop an automated data anonymization tool, um, which in the age of GDPR is music to us lawyers' ears. <laughs> so thank you. Um, and I am Anela Mouchat. I'm a partner in corporate here at CMS, which is why today we will be talking about strategic partnerships um, and the role of um, venture capital in, in driving <coughs> innovation externally. Um, and, you know, certainly this is seemingly the golden age for these strategic partnerships between large corporations on one hand and startups to to help develop their ideas. Um, and we have no shortage of incubators and accelerators and innovation labs and, and certainly a huge amount of CVC dry powder. Um, but is this model really working? Um, with your CVC hat on for a moment, what do you think is critical for the success of external innovation programs? Yeah, um, so I can uh, talk from my experience. I've been, uh, for the last year and a half, I'm still there at M12, which is Microsoft's venture fund, uh, basically around their investments in Europe. And I think there are a couple of um, things that are necessary to make uh, these um, accelerators or corporate programs with the startups uh, work. Uh, the first one is um, uh, governance. It needs to come really from the top. And uh, just for you to get an understanding at Microsoft, every company that we invest in uh, flies to Seattle and meets uh, one person, and his name is Satya Nadella. Uh, he takes time with each of the startups we invest in. Um, just so you understand, we invested in the last three years in over 60 startups, and he's meeting one-to-one, -one, all of those. Uh, we hold meetings with him every two months. He brings the whole leadership team to the room. Uh, they do a demo of the product, and. Uh, uh, specifically with many of the products that we can help. We invest in Series B, companies that have already product market fit, so that the different teams can identify areas to work on. And Satya says those are the areas we are working on, and there is one way to react to that. Everybody says yes, goes back home, and do their homework, and it works. So that's one thing. Two, there is no business units involved in the selection process um, and in the recruiting of the startups. So oh, the, the relationship between the startups and the corporate only happens after that investment and that relationship has started. And there are many reasons for that. One is a speed. Companies need to move. They need to get 
solutions and responses very quickly. And if you have to work with business units, it is very difficult. But also it's much better for the corporate because then they have fresh eyes, which is external. Nobody internal is making a decision of what we have. There is no pre-emptied uh, ideas or, uh, to make those decisions. That's the second one. And the third one I would say is probably having within the team people that are paid for POCs uh, that are close with uh, business units within the team. I mean within the accelerator or within the investment arm, people who are paid and their, their salaries depends on how many POCs are closed internally, how much money is generated for both sides, for the company and for the startups and for the corporate or, or value. And those are the KPIs that today these people usually don't exist. What happens is that the startups go to business units. Nobody is paid for that. So if they are willing to do it, it's just on their additional time. Mm. So there is nobody pay for that. So I think these three things are critical to make that relationship work. Um, and Stacy, pre-hype works with, I suppose, the creme de la creme of, uh, of corporations out there in, in not only co-creating startups, but trying to change effectively the innovation mindset of corporations. What's your take on this? What have you seen the reaction of large corporations to be? So, so when we set out and created Prehype about eight years ago, the notion of a bunch of entrepreneurs working with large companies uh, was thought of as very, uh, I mean, it was very left field. It was very far uh, you know, out there. Everyone would go like, oh, it's an interesting model, and we don't really know. Like, it seems odd. Um, I think the... We've seen that startups are basically eating the world. The lifespan of a uh, Fortune 500 company on the S&P 500 has halved mm. in uh, mm. the last you know, 40 or 50 years. It's now at 17 and a half years. So the company that's not thinking about how do we be entrepreneurial, how do we reinvent ourselves, and where do we find growth, uh, I think is, you know, is, very, is missing <laughs> uh, uh, their situation. So I think... Um, for us, I think it's exactly right, and, and as you, you say, Tex, uh, to think about um, the ways in which the company is architected for innovation and the very structures that exist. We have this mantra at Priyip about saying structures define outcomes. And so while so many com companies are aware of the issues, uh, I think there was a, a, a recent poll by CB Insights which said 70% of the Fortune 500 thought that innovation was a big deal and was very important for their businesses and yet only 15% of them had actual actionable programs that they were implementing. Um, and so what we do is work with, with uh, uh, you know, the leadership of these, these companies to really you know, develop things and create that architecture to achieve their goals. And so having the right structures in place to achieve those goals, uh, I think, is, is what's really important. What I'm really interested in, in Texas, is you, the first word that you said was governance, and yet you described a structure that was very much outside of the organization and removed mm. from the business line. And so I wonder how, uh, like, was it really that the strategy is being set at the top? Like, uh, you know, because I love what you were saying, but the actual one of the problems we often see is that the governance of the, of the mothership is actually tried to be pushed down all the way through. And so that structure is very difficult to, you know, for startups either trying to be uh, created with, you know, interface with the company or be create, you know, co-created with, uh, you know, uh, from external partners. Um, when you say all the way through, you mean that the government is separate or is internal? Uh, 
Um, well, so, so this is a classic thing. Yeah. So we, we uh, often, what we do is we'll go and we'll bring a, uh, a bunch of entrepreneurs and we'll get them together to solve a problem or identify uh, technology or uh, uh, intellectual property that a big company has and wants to deploy like an entrepreneur's mind to it, right? And an entrepreneur's mindset and skill set to it. Um, and we'll go together and we'll create a new product or solution that we then deliver by spinning up a new startup to deliver that. Because you have all the good things about startups know how to attract you know, the right talent, how to do things quickly, how to test that thesis and execute it and build something very quickly you know, over a 12 to 18 month time frame. Um, where we see friction with big companies is that they try and treat that new co-creation or even an external partnership with the same governance standards mm. as the, you know, and so uh, we've built businesses in the fintech space, we've built businesses in uh, highly regulated healthcare spaces where it would take me, uh, you know, uh, one of my marketing teams from, from like the healthcare startup would want to run a Facebook ad and it would take five months to get that Facebook ad approved. By which time it's no, there's no point in running the ad <laughs> itself, right? It's five months later. And so, like, because they were trying to adhere to the governance of the big company, so setting aside, like, creating the structures that allowed them to operate in independently, and that's kind of the way that you describe that. So I'm curious if there's... In fact, I think it, um, it, um, maybe I, I, I misexplained, but what we do is we invest in startups which are not owned by Microsoft. Mm. And so they can do whatever they want, first of all, so we can influence them to a certain extent, but with the five million that I might put in that company, I only own four or five percent. And so there is so much I can influence uh, with that. And uh, I mean, Heisey, uh, Harry is the founder of Heisey and is an example of one of our portfolio companies. And he can talk with as many departments as he wants internally. And in fact, one of the things I've been telling him is like, you don't have to follow what these people say. Uh, just take it, uh, say, great, that's a great idea, and you don't need to do it, and even less mm -hmm. in an early stage, right, because you are very limited in resources. I think you can speak by yourself, but in our case, the founders run the company. I don't run the company, and people at Microsoft don't run the company, thanks God. Uh, so Harry <laughs> runs his company. Well, which, which is great, and, and then, so one of the things we're often trying to do is to, to help our, our, you know, the companies that we're working with understand the way to influence um, you know, the way to influence uh, uh, the companies that we're working with, whether internally developed or co-created or externally, is through that investor mindset, as opposed to this wholly owned, like, we, yeah. you know, we yeah. need to grab we'll it around. In there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm yeah. super curious to hear. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have a topic just for that, for nice. Harry, yeah. uh, as part of our next point, to talk about, you know, effectively cultural fit. Um, but interestingly, um, Oracle have a very different operating model in that sense, um, in that the Oracle um, global startup ecosystem was created primarily to drive innovation into your customers' businesses rather than your own. So can you tell us a little bit more about that model and the reaction you see from your customers in terms of embracing that external innovation? Yeah, definitely. Hi, everybody. So I'm Matt. Let me give you like the, the real high-level view of, of Oracle's one, playing with startups, which is still a pretty well-kept secret. What do we do? What's that model? And then how have we, we tried to evolve it? So for the last two years, Oracle, very large corporate tech company, have been working with startups, trying to collaborate and create a program to encourage startups to perhaps tentatively take a step towards us, start to explore and consume our cloud infrastructure technology. Um, 
but we've set out to be very specific and, and deliberate about what we're trying to, to create. Um, you mentioned there are all manner of programs and accelerators and incubators and pre-accelerators and venture schemes out there. And the danger could have been we just added to the noise. And I think you mentioned the phrase innovation theatre mm. in your notes, which I think is brilliant. We didn't want to just add to the, the stuff that's out there. There are a few things that we can do quite well, so how do we leverage that? Um, we don't take equity in the startups, so it's not a venturing model for us. However, we do partner with VCs and partners who know a lot, a lot more about that than we do. That's helpful. Um, it's very R&D-led, so we work with startups to say, look, what are you trying to engineer? How do you want to architect what you're doing to be able to scale globally? We know a thing or two about that. Let's help you. Let's get you in the room around a whiteboard with the right people at very, very senior levels of product management or whatever it could be to give you that kind of insight. And in third kind of key pillar for us, we recognize Oracle has this huge customer base of, of typically very large customers and wonderful customers like CNS and, 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 and other and other. So how do we play our part in, in kind of helping startups to come and be part of the innovation conversations we're trying to drive with our customers. So the question around it, and how do we find customers responding to that, it's really, really positive. I think I'd be lying if I said it was really easy all the time just to introduce a startup in and, and, and we go and, and skipping hands together and we go and do some innovation. It doesn't quite work like that. It doesn't happen accidentally. It needs focus. It needs time. But when I've seen this time and time again, you know, we are engaging with a customer and understanding what are they trying to do. One quick example um, we have one customer, I won't mention them by name, but a very, very big telco and media player. They are desperate for innovation in how they handle uh, inbound calls in a, in a call center customer engagement scenario. We have a startup that does brilliant digital IVR technologies and, and could play a really important part in unlocking some new thinking there. We've made some introductions. And, and that's starting to take some shape. It's, it's that process that we can play. So as a result of that, we're, we're trying to find specific startups that have very, very creative, very innovative solutions that will run very, very well on an enterprise-grade cloud technology. And we know a place you can get some of that alongside others. Um, but we're deliberately not trying to go for the thousands and thousands and, and have a generic program. We're trying to be curated and specific because we want, to, we want to bring these startups into uh, that kind of co-creation mindset and co-innovation mindset that we're trying to foster with our customers. I'll stop there for now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, this all sounds great, but let's, let's talk culture. Um, you know, there is a, a common perception, at least among some of the startups we work with in, in our Equip program, um, that, you know, at least at an operational level, um, you know, the large companies and the startups end up having very little in common and that mm -hmm. there ends up being a culture clash. And Startups want to be nimble and fast and agile and they don't want to be burdened by processes and, and company politics. And mm -hmm. How have you found that interaction with your corporate backers? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I mean, as Chesterton States was sort of saying earlier about this kind of external model and then mm. um, almost as if we're just, we ha we're this vendor, but almost get this kind of special treatment in a certain sense because we have a, a sort of internal advocate. And it's, it's Adam at Microsoft, and he's fantastic. And as you say, he's incentivized to, to help us as much as possible. And then at, we've also got another um, backers of Nationwide are, are also supporting us. So 
uh, from another corporate for a sort of standpoint. And uh, again, we have another internal advocate. The whole venturing process mm. is its own system, its own sort of operation. Um, but the, that, you know, having that level of insight, it's, it's funny. You see the sort of relationship with those people. They, they are, you know, they come from a corporate background, but they sort of get excited by uh, working with us. At least that's what we think anyway. So they, even though... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they do. <laughs> it's quite funny. So going, going down to Swindon and visiting Nationwide, sort of seeing people staring at us, walking through in our sort of scruffy... People in jeans, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. We do that too as lawyers. Um, but, uh, but no, I think it, it's, it's interesting that, that having that structure of the relationship is, as you sort of say, it's slightly, slightly different. But um, it works quite nicely because you start to get some internal advocates that do start to mm. match your, your kind of culture, I think. And we, in our last meeting, actually a couple of days ago at Nationwide, the, so Susan's her name, she, um, we had one meeting set up and she actually bolted on one before that and then she realised the conversation went somewhere and um, we called someone up and went, went, went upstairs and went to go visit them as well. And so suddenly everyone was really surprised that they, these meetings were all happening so, so quickly. But it's funny how you sort of see the, um, the culture almost rub off between, mm. between one another. I mean, it's funny the, t- the time element as well you sort of, that mm. you mentioned that there's this perception that actually corporates moving really really slowly is is a bad thing and i think actually so certainly in our stage of the business we um well with nationwide particularly we they do move slowly and you know it'd be three weeks down the line before we get the next meeting but actually in that intervening intervening period we've you know prototyped something up thought about something else and we can show them something new and it's and almost fitting into those sort of development cycles is uh is it kind of interesting? So we actually haven't found at the moment that there's been a, it's been really difficult to, to match up from a time frame perspective. And I mean, that's, that may well change as we have more of a product market fit and we get into a more of a kind of sales process. But um, at the moment, it's actually, it's actually working quite well. Hmm. And, and on the other side of it, Matt, um, you know, has, has Oracle changed its culture somehow or its ways to kind of meet startups halfway? Uh, yes and no. Got a few views on that. We are a, a traditional corporate business in many ways, and we carry many of those traits. Um, but actually, I think we've always been quite forward-thinking and innovative. It's not always come out to the surface, I think, at times for our business. But in terms of the, the global startup ecosystem and this program for startups, this is a very separate unit. It, it has complete buy-in from the, the, the most senior levels of our business, which is great. But we, we operate as a startup within a big corporate. So that comes with its own mindset. So we are able to do things quicker. And we're still learning lots of lessons there to bring some candor. Um, but it's a very different model. Mm. Um, but we, I absolutely sort of sit in this tension. And I can see where we want to take a startup and get things going really, really quickly. We can do that to a certain degree. We are still constrained by some of our kind of corporate bureaucratic ways as well. A brilliant example of this is around our logo. Uh, so I saw uh, an email exchange last night. Um, the Oracle logo, I'm sure with many other kind of big corporate logos, this thing is sacred. It's not even the best logo in the world. But it, is it? So if you want to try and like, get a copy of the logo or stick it somewhere, you just can't. Please don't do it. I'll get in trouble. Um, <laughs> however, the Oracle Global Startup System uh, ecosystem logo it's our own logo. We're a little bit happier with it. Please just don't go and stick it on anything <laughs> random. But um, we, you know, we have a, a conversation last night. I saw it on email exchange with F Success, one of the partners that we're doing some things with. Can we use this logo somewhere? They were asking for the Oracle logo. Absolutely not. 
And if you want to go through the approval cycle to, to get that on your website for the Facebook ad or whatever, it's going to be two years until we can come back and say yes. Um, but if you want to use the global startup ecosystem logo, there it is, brilliant. Tiffany's just sent you the, 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 the JPEG. Well, you know, it's, it's so, so different. So I, I kind of see, I see both sides in that, I think. Fair enough. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, corporate-sponsored programs and, and um, corporate venture capital investment, but some of you may think, actually, where does more traditional venture capital fit into all of this? Has it fallen to the sidelines? Um, or are, you know, venture capitalists... Um, learning to survive and partner up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there certainly still seems to be a huge amount of money invested in VC-backed um, startups. And I think in the U.S. alone this year, we're talking about something like $57 billion. Yes. Um, so, you know, Stacey, how, how do you see more traditional VC investment fit into this landscape? Sure. Um, so we have found that a bunch of our uh, kind of so so when I think about Priup, I think about it as, a, as largely an ecosystem and a kind of pre uh, of uh, a network of entrepreneurs who want to build new products and solve interesting problems. Um, and Priup's created this service layer to kind of solve the problems of, of Fortune 500 companies. And then part of that, a big part of that ecosystem is capital. And we've actually found a very positive response from the venture community to the corporate co-creations that we've been spinning out of these companies because they have. Uh, the, the, the very like, fundamental nature of the co-creation is that they have access to an interesting technology that would not be available to an entrepreneur like just coming in off the street. They might have the, uh, the company as the anchor tenant, and so there's validation of that kind of product market fit. Um, and so we've, we've actually, uh, uh, like even in the last couple of weeks, closed a, a couple of seed rounds where we have third-party capital coming in um, we have a, a uh, uh, you know a startup that has been generated from matching an external entrepreneur with an internal problem, and and then the third party you know venture capital community can go and say like look that's really appealing to us we know the product like it's got product market fit we know that like the team is good you know the, there's a track record of success uh, with the organization and now we can you know they've got the flywheel working so now we can actually put our capital work in a very effective way. Um, I think the trick is, and the hard part about that is, you know, the, the, the kind of mind shift is, it goes back to this notion of like the corporate uh, uh, partner as uh, investor and as, and as managing through a board structure, as managing as a board member. And uh, in taking that understanding of like, uh, look, this is a great thing for, to be out in the marketplace and we're going to benefit from it, not only from the enterprise you know, the creation of, of enterprise value, but because it's part of a, 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 an ecosystem or its product should be out there, or it's going to bring other, you know, create customers for our, you know, our existing business. Um, uh, but that can also be a hard thing for companies to, uh, uh, to accept. I've been in plenty of conversations where, where uh, uh, a strategy director goes, after coming out of one of our opportunity identification workshops, where we've thought up a brand new idea and it's like, uh, all of a, a PowerPoint deck, right, a seed pitch deck that you look at, and they go, well, well, like, but why would I be a minority investor in this? We're giving you guys this incredible brand. And you're like, you mean the thing that we thought up during, like, this three-day workshop that's on that PowerPoint slide? That's the new incredible brand that you're giving us? Like, so it, it, there's a real shift of mentality that needs to go on, um, and that's part of the, the work that we're doing. And, and I think the, the companies that are at the forefront of this process are really looking at it that way. 
-hmm. Yeah, and certainly that is, as you said, your model. You, you guys don't take equity, which means, yeah. obviously, you partner up quite well with the VCs out there that do. Um, so in terms of sort of risk appetite and, and sharing that risk, there is... There are models out there that are um, uh, hybrid, effectively. Yeah, absolutely. And I, 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 we mentioned this word ecosystem a few times now. And I think it's really important. We can, it's possibly overused. But I think if everybody's bringing what they bring to the table, we can make some good things happen. You know, investors, those networks of investors, that's not something that we're bringing internally. Mm -hmm. But we're partnering up with, with those, that, those that do. Mm -hmm. I think you could take a similar angle around the, the sort of business incubator side mm -hmm. of the world as well. When, when we launched what we were trying to create, part of being very specific about where can we add value was thinking where are we necessarily not going to add value as well. So um, those skills around actually formulating the, the business ideas or somebody coming in to work on your pitch skills and bringing like, the guy in from Barclays once a week or whatever, whatever it might be to, to, to talk about finance, like, that stuff happened. Like, it would be crazy for Oracle to come around and go, well, we'll, we'll try and create some of that because I think that's just generally how these incubation mm. atmospheres kind of work. That stuff already existed. So what can we bring that, that adds something additional, adds something valuable to that? Um, and then, yeah, you bring in the VC community, you bring in and other things. Like we should all be kind of playing our role to, to better what the startup's mm. trying to build. All, all with some, you know, fairly healthy ulterior, or not ulterior motors, but kind of <laughs> corporate, we should, this should be healthy corporate productive, life. right? This should be kind of gaining value. This should be um, placing startups in a, in a position where they're going to succeed and they're going to grow. Um, and they're either going to then be, you know, uh, consumers of, of various services or they'll help to... to further tell stories or whatever it might be. I, I would like to make a comment on that, on that in fact, because I think, um, um, I mean, while I think the collaboration with, uh, with corporates works really well for either identifying a problem that a corporate has or bringing customers, I really think, uh, mm -hmm. um, I think they are different models because our model is completely different to yours. I've, I don't know the product that Microsoft sells. I'd never worked for Microsoft. Nobody in my team worked for Microsoft before. We all come for venture, from venture, yeah. and we invest in, con in things that we think can make a lot of money for Microsoft in the future, but we have no idea what is going on at Microsoft. So um, I, I want to make that point because we help our companies finding customers, and we go to the market with our companies, and we do all of that after we invest. And the only reason is because we want to make money. So I'm a VC. I'm an investor. I'm not a corporate. I don't sell cloud. I don't care if my companies are in AWS or Oracle Cloud. I don't. Uh, in fact, you are not in Azure, right? I don't think you are on Azure. Um, and I don't even ask my companies because I don't care if they use Microsoft or not. I want to make money. I'm an investor. And so I take 5% of the equity, and I help those companies get into other VCs. And yes, I can leverage Microsoft to get to our customers. Yeah. Mm. So we have an asset and that connection. But I think it's different, right? And there are different levels of collaboration. And I think startups and corporates need to understand where they sit. And I totally understand um, what Stacey was saying right now about corporates willing to take too much equity, we take a maximum, maximum, if we put over 10 million, we take a maximum, maximum of 15%, maximum. I right. mean, the average for us is a 5%. Yeah. 
uh, and that um, after putting five million in the company. So it's a, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty reasonable. And no venture capitalist will come in a company when the company is owned by a corporate on over at 25, not even at 20 I, I need you to record that for me, because I say that every time. <laughs> and, and, and there is no and the, way. Like, I wouldn't like, Don't either. trust me. Talk to us. You know, and I wouldn't like, either. Yeah, As a no, corporate exactly. venture arm, which is financially driven, I wouldn't put money in a, totally. compa in a company which is owned totally. by a corporate. Keep that VC hat on for a second. And, um, you know, there are voices out there that um, are warning that um, because of how available of VC money is nowadays, how abundant, and the rise of a secondary market and ever-extending holding periods. Um, valuations for um, VC-backed startups have gone through the roof, and you know there are these unicorns are there that are burning through cash and will end up disappearing. So, crystal ball gazing. Um, are we in another bubble? Is this? Is this what's happening? Yeah, I think everybody is uh, talking about it, and uh, there is a lot of money out there. Um, I think there might be. Uh, another bubble is not going to be the same one mm. as previously because uh, the ecosystem is completely different. The companies are behaving differently. Mm. I think there will be uh, a new uh, Amazon, a new Facebook, a new huge company that is going to keep growing and, uh, and become huge companies in the market, uh, giving money back to their, to their investors. Other ones will fail, but that has happened always. The ones which will have failed has raised more money than in the past. Mm. That is true. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a bubble that is going, the market is going to crash. I think mm. the situation is different. And some companies will succeed, mm. and some, some companies will fail. And then the ones we, which will fail will lose a lot of money for the investors. Yeah. That is true. And I think there's certainly recognition that with scale comes cash. Spending. Yeah. So you do need to scale up and have yeah. the flexibility that VC versus public markets would be offering. Correct. To, to get there. Um, and Harry, how do you, or let me ask it this way, um, ignoring Echazos here for a second. Um, <laughs> what do you uh, prefer in your partners? Do you would you rather have the corporates or the VC? And what you know, what do you like about your VC partners? Yeah, I'd say look that. The massive benefit for us is to have a mixture of the two. Um, having both of those voices around the table in the board meetings, not necessarily actually on, on, on active board seats, but just observing, is you get all of those voices in the room. So you get sort of Nationwide doesn't have a sort of a 10-year fund that they have to exit the mm. company under. And, and obviously they, they have their targets, but you know, they have a very different set of uh, priorities to someone like Notion Capital who are straight down the line a, a kind of a hard-nosed VC um, and, and along with that so obviously there's the different intentions in the room there which is great from, from our perspective it means as a company we get to sort of almost pick and choose how we and who we take our advice, advice from but um, you know at the same time we get, we get all the advantages and the value from having a great channel partner possibly with Microsoft having a first test customer with Nationwide having all of the uh, experience that Notion has in building up um, you know lots of companies that are similar to us so I think it's, 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 it's great to ha have a mix. I wouldn't, I'd say it's almost dangerous to, to be balanced from, so to, from one to, to the other. Yeah, yeah. I think our time's just about up. Um, to wrap it up, um, Ichaso and Matt, if you were to give 10 seconds of advice. 
Um, my advice would be uh, get razor focused on what it is that you do that's really, really good and unique. What bit are you bringing? And, and understand if you're going to partner with a, a big company, what what are the bits that you can absolutely maximise and and manipulate and utilise from from what they do? So be bold, do what you do, but be really razor focused on what it is that's different and how it connects with what you can utilise from your partners. I would say find the right uh, people at corporates. Uh, it is very tough, uh, but sometimes the people who are uh, willing to help, uh, they are passionate, but they don't have a budget. They don't have decision-making uh, power. And the startup end up uh, wasting a lot of time, even though they get into conversations with the wrong people. Um, and I think it's important. Um, and I, I think it's very tough. That is the toughest part. But find the right people and make sure they have decision-making power and uh, a budget. Hmm. And Stacey, to those corporates out there that want to set up an external innovation program, uh, what would your advice be? So, so the, the, yeah, the, the quick piece of advice is I think you have to define the goals for innovation very clearly, and it has hmm. to come from the top, as you, as you talked about. Having that, the, you know, the C-suite needs to be defining those goals. Uh, and then creating the architecture that supports those goals. We've each articulated kind of different flavors of innovation and how corporates and, and startups uh, uh, partner. I think there's a lot of very good examples here. There's a lot of bad examples that are out there in the, in the world as well. And so choose that, that, that architecture for your innovation structure very carefully and then give the team the independence and the backing to go and execute it on it. I think one of the clear kind of common threads across all of us is that each of it, like the, the 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 partners that we're working with on both sides have been given the independence to really uh, like execute on on the business and towards those goals. And Harry, ten seconds of advice to those tech titans out there in the funds in dealing with startups like yourself. Um, I say the, the key well the key decision maker for us when we chose our, our partners was um, yeah the, the very flexible relationship no uh, kind of. Um, commercial restrictions was was a really key when we mm. had a couple of other offers that did have commercial restrictions and it's a, it, it's a, that's a really sort of suffocating indicator um, and I think you know if you can align your benefits as a business i.e. Uh, you know helping your customers and that so that sort of helps the start it's all mutually beneficial I think that's that's the key things that we've looked for when we were choosing our our partners and uh, if you can achieve that that's 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 a method for success. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So thank you everyone very much.